0: I want to encourage you now to take your copy of God's Word and turn to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. And I want to ask you the question, have you ever thought of yourself as a leader? Have you ever thought of yourself as somebody who leads others? One definition of a leader is someone that has influence. Now, if you were to take that simple definition of having influence that would apply to a lot of us because I would say to you that in so many ways those of us who are in here we have influence we have influences with people uh, in the workplace in the school setting wherever we are we have influences and if we are influencers that means we are leaders if we're teachers if we're doctors if we're janitors if we're bankers if we're students If we're Sunday school teachers, if we're deacons, if we are those who come and minister during the week in different outlets and here within this church, we are leaders. If you are a dad, if you are a mom, if you are a granddad, if you're a grandmom, if you are older brother, if you're older sister, if you're aunt, you're an uncle, you get the point, right? You are a leader. You influence others and how God needs His leaders to step up in the homes in the churches and in the culture I want to share with you some advice for godly leaders now when I look at Acts chapter 20 I recognize right off the bat that what we're going to study today would be Paul's words to church leaders I understand that he's going to talk to pastors he's going to talk to the elders the overseers he's going to speak to them directly but I'm convinced today that there are transferable principles to your life and to mine in other words if you're a leader as I've mentioned if you have influence over others God can take some of these basic leadership principles and He can encourage you and challenge you today And I hope that he would I I want you to look at Acts 20 and I'm going to begin in verse 17 And I know this is a lengthy passage but I feel like we need to read it all and to hear the heart of Paul and to, to to see his challenge to those church leaders. So hang with me, if you will, as we begin in verse 17, as it tells us from Miletus that he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. As we're reminded that Paul, 30 miles away from Ephesus, he calls and he asks the pastors to come speak to him. Almost like a pastor's conference, all right? Like a pastor's conference where he can speak to them. And here in verse 18, we begin to see his words. It says, And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know, from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore take heed to yourselves, to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years, I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who are with me. I've shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they all wept freely fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. Paul had been the pastor at Ephesus, or one of the leaders at Ephesus for three years. And again, he calls them because he's about to leave. He's not going to see them again, most likely, and he wants to give them some direction. He wants to give them some guidance He wants to give them some advice for the days that are to come. Advice on godly leadership. Now, again, note, it says that he calls forth for the elders of the church. When you think about the offices of the church, for us as Baptists, we usually think of the pastor and deacons. Even in our Baptist faith and message, we have talked about the offices of the local church, that that office... Or those offices would be seen in the pastorate and also in the deacon ministry or deacon fellowship So sometimes when we come to this language of the scripture and we hear this idea of the elders It may be difficult for us to process like who would those be would those just be the older folks in the church or who would those? individuals be well, I'm convinced as I read through this passage and as I read through the New Testament that what God is doing, or what Paul is doing, as God directs him, is he is calling forth the pastors, the ministers of the church. I think elder is interchangeable with pastor. How would I see that? Well, look again, if you will, in verse. Uh, let's look in verse 28 remember in verse 17 he called for the elders in verse 28 what does he do he says therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the holy spirit has made you overseers so the word overseer is also used for this same function and then notice it says to shepherd that's the verb form of the title pastor to shepherd the flock you could say to pastor the flock so in other words Those of us who are in leadership, those of us who are ministers, there's a sense in which we are elders, we are overseers, and we are pastors. That's the biblical role of the office, of pastor, the terminology, the elder. Now, listen, I'll be honest with you. I don't want you to start calling me Elder Reggie. (laughs) Nothing wrong with the term, I just don't like it. When you, uh, when you come to me and you say, Overseer Reggie, or actually the word in some of your translations may be Bishop. Bishop Reggie. I don't like that either. Don't call me Pastor. I like that. That's, that's just a personal preference. But all three of those words refer to the same office see how they're used here I know some denominations they try to like split it apart or so but in this passage he is talking to elders and he talks to them about being overseers and he's talking to them about shepherding or pastoring the flock all three terms are brought together here in this passage and as we think about those terms And their meaning, in the context of this passage, we're able to see leadership principles. Now, it's been a struggle for me this week to be able to kind of bring it all together here. I'll be honest with you. I've I've gone back and forth. Uh, uh, I went to Leslie as she was writing my sermon, and I said, Hey, I think this would probably be better here. Let's not do this here. But I have struggled. I've even talked to her about it. Like, how would I bring this together? So I actually want to borrow from one of the legends of Southern Baptist life, A guy named Dr. Adrian Rogers. Some years ago, when I was doing my PhD work, I got to call and interview him over the phone regarding pastoral ministry and and how he would take pastoral ministry today, his understanding. And he talked to me about these three words, the elder, the overseer, and the pastor. And he said basically what he would see in those titles, he would see maturity, maturity, He would see management, and he would see ministry. Well, you know, those of you who ever heard Dr. Rogers, you would know he would alliterate, okay? He always did. But he said, there's something in leadership of where there is maturity that goes along with the title of elder. There is something about management. It goes along with the title of overseer. And there's something about ministry, which naturally links to the idea of the pastor. So let me break that out for you today because, again, I think those areas could speak to all of us who are leaders. Let's take, for example, maturity. He calls forth for the elders. The elders. It is maturity in spirit, not just maturity in age. Some of you would say, oh, elders, that means they must be older. Well, I'm not sure I would qualify yet. Some of you would probably say, yes. I'm getting older, but obviously I've pastored since I was like 21 years old. I look at Timothy in the New Testament. Timothy was so young, wasn't he? Maturity didn't refer to physical age. It rather referred to the spiritual, the spiritual state, the spiritual growth that had happened in your life. It spoke to character, character of faith. Maturity speaks to character. And and I hope that you hear Paul here talk about his character. What does he say? He says, you know. You know me. You know my character. You know who I am. I've been with you for three years, and you've heard my motivations. You've heard my heart. You know me. He was one who had matured in his faith, From being saved there on the Damascus Road to growing in his faith. And he was recognized, he was recognized as this elder, this pastor. And he exemplified the integrity that he should in his life. Let me say this. Max Lucado some years ago wrote and he said that leadership is more about being than it is about doing. Or at least it begins with being. Instead of doing. In other words, if you were to be the leader that you should be, whether it's in your home, whether it's in your business, whether it's in your church, it has to begin with who you are, your being. It's not just what you do. It's your character. It's your maturity. It's your integrity that you have. It is the most important aspect of your life. Some years ago when I was in seminary, I started reading a lot of leadership books by a guy named Warren Bennis. Some of you may be familiar with him. He was not necessarily a Christian, or he didn't write from a Christian perspective. He just wrote on leadership. He taught for years at USC. And I remember reading his second, well, his second take on leadership, his revision to his first book. And what he said is that By the time that he had written his second book, he had determined that in all areas of life, integrity was the most important virtue or character of the leader. One of the reasons he said this is because he had seen his hero commit some moral failings in his life and unfortunately move him out Of leadership positions I think that's what profoundly affected him but he came back think of this a non-christian he writes and he says it's the integrity that you show and Paul as he is writing through this he is going to talk about integrity he's going to talk about how we are to have mature faith in the face of the audiences that are out there persistence faith authenticity Again, what does he say? He says, You know me. And oh, how they had gotten to know Paul over those three years. And Paul wasn't about pretense, was he? Paul, I think, was just an authentic believer, and he set himself before the people. He says, You know me. Now, pretense, listen, pretense is the practice of children. Would you agree with me? Pretense is the practice of children. There's nothing wrong with pretending, using your imagination, especially as a child. I don't know how many different wardrobes Ainsley Grace has. I'm not talking about the wardrobe she wears to church. I'm talking about the wardrobe she just dresses up in. Now, she doesn't do it as much as she used to. Which is bothering me because she's getting older and that means I'm getting older and she's not the little girl she was But you know like some days she would come down and she would have Cinderella a Cinderella outfit on She'd have these high heels walking down those steps and I would pray Lord, please get her down the steps safely She would come down and of course all this stuff and everything she had a little bit of an aerial look at times She even had Jasmine sorry. We were into Disney princesses obviously but she had all these different things that she would come down in. And we would, we would say, oh, that's awesome, that's, that, that's so cute. Look at her, she's just awesome. She's precious, she's sweet, right? That's what you do, you do something like that. Let, let, me, let me ask you, if Louise Adams came in today dressed up like Cinderella, <laughs> You'd say, well, she's trying to find something to do. The store's been closed for a while. I guess she's just getting bored. Yeah, something. You would not expect that because pretense is the practice of children. But let me say this. That means that in our lives as we mature in Christ, it's it's not about pretense with him or anybody else. It's about being authentic. It's about being real. It's about saying, Lord, this is who I am. You know who I am, and I want you to change me. I want to be different. When you come into this church, it's not about pretense or putting on a certain face. It's by saying, this is who I am in the Lord Jesus Christ. I am a work in progress. But thank God he is still working on me, and he will until I see him face to face one day. That's maturity. That's maturing in your faith, recognizing you are not here to please anybody else, that you're not here to somehow demonstrate some type of show. Speaking of Paul's ministry, John Stott, the great theologian, declared, It was exercised in the open before God and human beings, for he had nothing whatever to hide. Happy are those Christian leaders today who hate hypocrisy and love integrity, who have nothing to conceal or be ashamed of, who are, who are well known for who and what they are, and who are able to appeal without fear to God and the public as their witnesses. We need more transparency and openness of this kind today in all of our culture. Maturity. Mature faith. Mature faith in the face of adversity. When you hear Paul speak here, what does he say? Paul says, well, I faced adversity there among those Jewish followers obviously who cast him out of the synagogue and there was much more hostility. He had a mature faith of looking at adversity and saying, I'm going to continue to preach and share the gospel of Christ no matter what would come. That's mature faith. When opposition comes, as I said, you you and I are not here to please people. And I say that in a painstaking way because I recognized years and years ago that one of my greatest weaknesses in life Is that I am a people pleaser. I love to just make people happy, try to please them. But you know what? You and I are not here just to please people. Now, some of you just took that and said, he just said it was okay for me to be offensive. (laughs) I knew I could be. I don't think we should be needlessly offensive. But I will say to you that you and I need to worry about pleasing God more than we are about pleasing this culture and the people who are around us. That is a mature faith. A mature a mature faith who will face adversity. And look at Paul as he says as he speaks about going to Jerusalem. He's about to go to Jerusalem and he's going to experience he's going to experience trials and tribulations literally. He's going to experience it. Now, he says, I don't know exactly what all is going to happen, but the Holy Spirit keeps talking to me in each city and saying, you better get ready because this is going to happen. Look at this mature faith. He says, I'm going forward with the future, trusting in God no matter what comes my way. That's maturity. That's the idea of the elder. That's the idea of one who has looked at his faith and evaluated it and one who has trusted God completely mature faith mature faith in the favor of applause itself when people are applauding you you see adversity from time to time but how about the other side success when people are applauding you i I want you to look back again and it says that he said as i always lived among you serving the lord with all humility listen it would be very easy for paul Uh, in those three years to to gain some popularity, at least among the church people, the believers, right? But he kept some humility about him. He, He didn't say, yes, I am Paul. You will do what I say. He did not demand. He was humble. That's mature faith. Mature faith calls for humility. Jeremy, I read somewhere where it says that A man who wants to lead the orchestra has to turn his back to the congregation. In other words, the idea is it's not about the public applause of the congregation. It's not about seeing them satisfied. But again, it is about your business and humility and servanthood. That's mature faith. Maturity goes along with this idea of being an elder. And again, all of us need to demonstrate mature faith wherever we are. Your children need to see mature faith. Your grandchildren need to see mature faith. They need to see integrity in your life. They need to see you facing the future, even though adversity may come, that you are facing it, trusting the Lord Jesus Christ. They need to see you as you will humbly serve, not boastfully serve the Lord. There has to be management in our leadership. I said to you there are three words here, three terms. The word elder, which in the original language is presbyteroi or presbyteros. You can see where the denomination Presbyterian came from. Then you have the overseer, or some of your translations, as I said, will say bishop. It comes from the word episkopos. You can think of it as the episcopal denomination. The overseer, the manager. It was used in um, Athens to refer to local officials in the Old Testament Greek translation it referred to judges who had jurisdiction over different affairs it really refers to the idea of giving management and leadership to a team for three years Paul had given leadership and now he's challenging those who is leaving behind to continue that leadership what did he say he said you ought to lead by example I still love this said, you know, me, you know, me, I think we as leaders, we're real. We're authentic and we lead by example. I think we should be. Now I know sometimes some of you are probably like, I've know enough about you and you don't have to tell me anymore. I've kind of had enough personal. Let's dig into some other type of illustrations, but it is important that when we lead, we are leading authentically and we are leading by Example and who we are So if I preach to you that we ought to have integrity guess what that means integrity ought to start in my heart If I'm telling you on Sunday that you ought to demonstrate honesty in your relationships Then I ought to be one who would demonstrate honesty Paul said I didn't covet silver or gold. He says I wasn't greedy and you know that and Those of us who are leaders we should never be greedy but we should be honest actually we should be generous later on Paul remind them of that beatitude that's not found anywhere else in the scripture but obviously Jesus spoke and what did he say it is more blessed to give than to receive so he says you ought to be an example of generosity those of us who are leaders in our churches In our companies wherever we ought to demonstrate and be that example of generosity I shouldn't ask you to give something that I'm not willing to give to I shouldn't ask you to support this church if I'm not going to be able to support this church I shouldn't ask you to give the missions offerings if I don't commit myself to say hey I'm giving you this missions offering and you as a deacon you as a Sunday school teacher whatever else you ought to be generous with your time. and your. When you walk out of this place and you see an opportunity for generosity, may God convict you and may he convict me to do what he has called us to do. We lead by example. We ought to be hardworking. You see what Paul said? Paul said, I worked so that I could provide. Now, he didn't say preachers ought not to get paid. There needs to be an amen somewhere in this place. You're going to get out of it way later today. (laughs) He didn't say we we didn't have to. He said, I just want you to know, this is the reason I did what I did. So you wouldn't think I was taking advantage of you. I was hard working. And those of us, again, who are in leadership, we ought to be people who work hard. Oh, I wish I could give you more of a discourse on my dad's. Teaching me the work ethic that he did, uh, and it probably warped me in some way. But I was taught that you work hard. As a matter of fact, the the two verses that I learned coming up, the verses were not John three sixteen, or Romans three 16. There wasn't any of that. What did I learn? I learned when I came up. My very first verses were, "If a man does not work, he does not eat." And the second one, if a man does not provide for his family, he is worse than an infidel. I've heard my dad repeat that over the years. And my dad lived it too. Don't get me wrong. When he drove that truck and he worked those docks and he came in in the evening, he had grease, he had dirt on him, he had sweat on him. He was a hard worker. That's one of the reasons he can't understand my line of work these days. I'll talk to him on Sunday night sometimes, and he said, how you doing, son? And said, man, I'm tired. Tired? What have you done again today? Well, Daddy, I preached two different services this morning, and then I had this, this. He said, yeah, okay, okay, all right, yeah. Look, whatever line of work we're in, we ought to be hardworking. And you as a leader, you should be an example of how to work hard to other people around us. That's what Paul said. Paul said, I was there with you, and I worked hard. I gave myself to this. He was a servant. Oh, there's something to be said about servant leadership. And again, I wish I had more time to flesh it out. But you and I should be servants among our people, among those those contexts that we find ourselves in. Jesus was. Now, this is astounding to me because, you know, the very first book that was written by by Robert Greenleaf on servant leadership, he wrote it out of a secular kind of mindset. And yet, we believers, we should have written this book a long time ago. Because Jesus was the servant leader and gave us the supreme example. He was the one who got down and washed the feet of his disciples. And you and I, as leaders, if we're going to be truly leaders in where, we, in where we live, where we work, where we worship, if we're going to be leaders like we should, we're going to have to be servants. Just like Paul was. Just like Jesus was. There's nothing about leadership that says we have to make people think we are powerful and important. On the contrary, servant leadership finds great strength in serving the needs of followers. Top-down leadership is out of place in his church. We lead by example. We lead with vision. As we manage, as we lead. Paul said, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole gospel or the whole revelation or the whole counsel or the whole plan of god counsel plan in other words what god wanted for you he said i've tried to give it to you all the vision of god for your life and you and i we should be visionary people when we lead we should be showing them what god intended don't we believe god has a purpose and plan for every individual here on this earth i do is for us to take his word, vision grows out of revelation, and we show them what God intended. For the church, providing the vision through his word, being visionary leaders. Someone was quoting um, the proverb writer that said, if there is no vision, the people perish. And that is truthful. Rick Warren added to that. He said, well, there is no vision. The people perish or they move to another parish. (laughs) It's got to be vision. Show them. Look, you say, well, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a pastor friend. If you have influence over everybody, you should help individuals see their God-given potential, what God's plan is for their life. You should help them see the vision that God has. And some of you, again, who are coaches and teachers and nurses and and homemakers, those of you, you have great opportunities to help people see the vision of God for their lives. Lead. Lead by example. Lead with vision and lead for transformation. What are we trying to do as a people, as believers? We want to see people transformed. I love this. Paul says, Here, I'm handing off the ministry to you, right? I'm handing the ministry off to you. I'm about to leave, but I'm trusting you to lead this congregation at Ephesus. You and I should be investing in people in leadership potential so that we can pass off the ministry in many ways. To see them transformed from just simply a believer to a leader to someone who would commit themselves to following the Lord this is transformational leadership not transactional leadership transactional leadership is what I'm going to do something for you to see what you'll do for me that's the way our culture operates that's the way a lot of leaders operate I'll do something for you if I get something out of you. Transformational leadership is saying, hey, I'm investing in you because I want to see transformation occur in your life and in mine. I better move on. Yeah, some good stuff. Huh? Good stuff that God gives us in his word. But let me give you this last this last thought. Whereas elder speaks to the maturity and whereas overseer or bishop speaks to the management that we have in our leadership the word pastor or shepherd it's the same word pastor or shepherd it speaks to the ministry Itself. It's hard to separate them, but you can see how maybe these all play together. Over 500 times in the Bible, the image of she- a shepherd or sheep would be used to speak about God's leadership or God's people's leadership. Here he says, shepherd the flock. As a shepherd, what do you do? As you shepherd the flock, what are your responsibilities? You fight. You don't fight for one another, against one another. You you fight for one another, right? You fight for one another. Because what happens? There are people who will come against us. There's a culture that will come in and try to teach us all kinds of things that are outside of God's word. And I'm going to tell you that we have to fight against that. There are churches right now that are capitulating and giving in to immorality and idolatry, but I tell you that you and I have to stand strong upon what God has taught us, and we must stand on the foundation of his word. We must fight the false teachers that would arise from without, from within. The The shepherd would beat off those predators to protect the sheep. What do we do? As we shepherd the flock, we feed the flock. Well, we feed them. We feed them the word. We feed them Christ. Again, some of you look at me and say, hey, that's for a preacher. I say again if you are in any kind of place to influence others, you are a shepherd. Some of you are shepherding your family, some of you are shepherding your children. Some of you are shepherding your workplace. Some of you are shepherding your Sunday school class. You are shepherds. Feed them. Feed them God's Word. Paul said, I gave it to you all. I didn't hold back. Listen, there's sometimes I've got hobby horses I wished I could just preach every Sunday, you know? But God has called me to give the people of God a a steady diet, a healthy diet. Of his word. So feed. And to feel. As you shepherd the flock, feel. Did you feel the intimacy and the emotion in this passage? I I hope you did. Especially, this is Paul's last time with the church of Ephesus that he's loved. He stayed here longer than he ever has in any other ministry position. And he loves them. I hope you can feel that Folks, I've left, uh, oh my goodness. I've left, I guess, about four churches now. Three as pastor and one as a staff member. I've left those churches. And it felt like my heart was torn out when I left. I told someone it felt like I was violently ripped away by God. It was tough. Paul's saying goodbye to these that he's loved why because they have touched his life they have touched his heart he has known them and they have known him he loves them dearly you and I are going to be ineffective leaders until we learn to love people until we are able to feel the emotion and the trials, the joys of those people. You want to see life change in your workplace? You want to see life change in your classroom? You want to see life change in the church and the community? Folks, if you're going to shepherd the folks around, you've got to love them with everything you got. You've got to know them. I'm a big believer on knowing people's names. It's hard. It's difficult. But I think it's one of those areas that you and I have to work at in our lives. Even in your workplace. Even in your school. Know their names. Why? Because when you know their name, it means you care about them. You feel for them. You love them. I can't imagine, but... I think in the evenings sometimes when the shepherd would gather up the sheep you know they would do this every night they'd come and they would make maybe like a little makeshift corral or whatever else to make sure that the sheep were brought in and they were safe every evening and and I don't know but I could almost see like little sheep come through and said Todd proud you got here get in there Todd get right over there I know you don't want to sleep next to Bob but you're sleeping next to Bob tonight I. I know Sarah snores, but it's going to be okay. She's over there, boys over here, girls over there. We got it. I can only imagine how each night that shepherd saw each sheep and they knew each sheep that would come through to make sure that they were okay, to make sure they were all right. We're told in the scripture that our Lord knows his sheep. And his sheep know him. He loves his sheep. And they love him. You and I ought to love the sheep that God's put in our fold and flock. And we ought to be able to minister to them. We mess up. Oh God, we mess up. But for us to see the Holy Spirit work to work through us to help individuals and see individuals grow. It's worth the continued effort because we love each other. Some godly advice. Demonstrate maturity. Demonstrate it. Faith maturity. Demonstrate proper management and leadership being the examples, being the visionary leaders looking for transformation. Be the ones who are willing to minister to others. As you share the word, as you love each other, be those ministers that God has called you to be. And I believe when Christian leaders just listen a little bit of what Paul said, they will make a major difference for the kingdom of God. Let's pray together. Father, Thank you again for this morning. God, we praise you for just the ability to be here today. I'm convinced that everybody that's in this sanctuary and everybody that's there in that gathering, that everybody that even hears this message on our television broadcast, that it is by divine appointment that you've orchestrated this. And God, you need individuals to step up as leaders. God, we're making transitions here in times and more classes and all of these things that are going on. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to to see leaders who would step up. I pray that you would help us who who have shepherding responsibilities to follow your model, not the world's model. Father, I pray. That, Lord, you would challenge us as a people today so that our workplaces would be different, so that our classrooms would be different, so our families, so our church, so our community. God, help us to be the people you want us to be as we love and minister to others. We pray it in Jesus' name.